This afternoon I preach you the Word of God as it is summarized and confessed by the church in Lord's Day 3 of the Heidelberg Catechism. It's on page 519 in the Book of Praise, if you'd like to read along. There you see that we're looking at the, the three parts, the three things we need to know in order to live and die in the joy of the comfort of the gospel. The first is our sin and misery, which we started to look at last week, Lord's Day 2. And then we ended with the statement that we're inclined by nature to hate God and my neighbor. And then Lord's Day 3, question 6. Did God then create man so wicked and perverse? And the church answers, no, on the contrary, God created man good and in his image, that is, in true righteousness and holiness, so that he might rightly know God, his creator, heartily love him and live with him in eternal blessedness to praise and glorify him. From where then did man's depraved nature come? From the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. For there our nature became so corrupt that we were all conceived and born in sin. But are we so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined to all evil? Yes, unless we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I could begin this afternoon with a question for children, for the children uh, here this afternoon. Have you ever, ever made a very nice painting or a drawing? Have you done that in your life? How, how do you, how does it make you feel if your younger brother or your younger sister comes and takes a big black marker and, and ruined what you painted, maybe ripped it into to pieces. Makes you feel very sad, doesn't it? Maybe even a little angry. Well, in a way, the universe and all its creatures can be compared to a beautiful picture that children might draw or that anyone might draw except that the heavenly and earthly creatures that were part of God's creation ended up deciding to ruin themselves. And then when you think about how you feel when people break the nice things that you have made, you can understand that God was not pleased when sin came in and stained his good creation. Sin and destruction chaos, brokenness, violence, depravity, black markers that ruin beautiful drawings. They're not essential parts of God's original design. Well, the good news is that God didn't just crumple up the universe and toss it away so that he could start again, but that in his love he decided to fix the mess. And I preached you this gospel under the following theme, God can clean up the stain of sin. We'll see there's a realistic picture, divine creation, a ruined picture, 
human vandalism and a restored picture, that spiritual rebirth. Well, if you are a parent and your child comes and tells you that her younger brother or a younger sister ruined their picture, it's not always easy to tell exactly what your child is, is talking about. Without having seen the original drawing that your child produced, you aren't always sure which colored lines belong to the original and which were added by a younger sibling that apparently ruined what she was trying to convey. And the problem is, without a, a lack, with a lack of a clear starting point, it's difficult to know what things are supposed to look like. And that's a, a problem that we see all around in society today. Discussions about what governments should do or what priorities should be in the budget that comes out this week or what the education curriculum should look like or what duties we owe our neighbor. All these discussions can be very frustrating because there are no generally accepted standards that can be used to define what is good and what is not good. Every person has a different worldview, a different explanation of the truth. And no one can agree on what ideal or good or broken or evil looks like. We all have different descriptions of those words. One person says, Canada is broken because it doesn't look like the country it used to be. And the next retorts, Canada is not broken, but the ideal Canada has changed. And a similar thing happens in discussions about our relationship to, to nature. For some people, the, the shovel entering the ground is a horrific murder accompanied by the shill, shrill screams of Mother Nature. For others, the shovel in the ground is like an upgrade accompanied by a high five of teamwork, man and uh, the, the creatures and, and the world together. And still to others, the shovel in the ground is necessary but unpleasant, kind of like squeezing ourselves onto a crowded bus. Your picture of an ideal world will have a huge effect on what you think is right or wrong. And until we agree on a starting point, people will continue to be like wrestlers with their feet firmly planted on thin air. In the same way, our discussions concerning sexuality, marriage, family, preborn rights, identity, they need some solid ground on which we can all agree to define broken or evil or dysfunctional or acceptable, you first need to know the truth about where the universe came from and why it is here. Even in the art world, a person needs to understand what is embedded in the depth of people's hearts that, that leads people of every culture to declare one painting excellent and another painting, well, I'm sure the parents will think it's a nice painting. Romans 7, Paul only knew what sin was because he had found the standard. 
to which he could compare his life. The problem is that it is very difficult to find a standard or basis of evaluation about what is good or bad in the ruined institutions themselves. You you need the artist at your side before you can identify what part of the picture is original and what was added by a bratty younger brother or sister. Planet Earth itself cannot tell you if it is meant to suffer the physical effects of exploration and resource dependence or if it is meant to be untouched and uninhabited or something in between. And unless you find out who made the world and what he wanted to do with it, you won't be able to come to a conclusion about what is the right use or the wrong use of the world we live in. If a person determines a definition of good by discovering what causes the least amount of harm to the most people, we'll find that definition of good will always be changing. It'll be different depending on which group of people you are thinking about. Even those more solid moral standards and explanations of reality that seem to be known in the hearts of people from all generations and all ethnicities and all cultures in all times, such as the principle that killing is bad or that there are males and there are females or who are different or what love entails, what makes something beautiful, all those things that come from general revelation and natural theology which happen to confirm that God that God's explanation of good and bad in the Bible is correct, even even that angle needs to be verified by the Creator before it can be presented as a standard that everyone must submit to. General revelation needs the interpretation and authority uh, from God that's provided in the Bible, in special revelation. Well, the good news that we confess in Lord's Day 3 is that in this world that we we live in, God has not just left us in the dark to try figure it out. Like a young child describing the original picture that, that the child had drawn so that you can understand the extent of the damage that was caused to it, so also God tells us where this world came from what it looked like, why he made it, and even where it is going, his, his purpose. So what is the real picture that lies underneath, that, that, that is underneath all the, the lies and the misinformation that is so completely out of sight for people who do not know the Bible and are blinded by sin? Well, we confess that together in question and answer six. We confess that when God made the world and the first human beings in that world, he did not create them wicked and perverse or with a depraved nature, but he created them good and in his image, Genesis 1. He created them with the ability to express the genuineness of their love by choosing to do what was good, even when evil was right there beside them. You could think of the tree of 
knowledge of good and evil. Ephesians 4, verses 20 to 24 that we we read together in the worship service this morning indicates that being in the image of God includes a righteousness, that means an obedience to his commandments, and a holiness, which means a separation from evil. So God showed us what this looked like, what this kind of righteousness and holiness looked like, and how he made us to live when he gave the Ten Commandments, which then again show us the good way and also the, the way of evil. The good way, the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, now in the Ten Commandments, and then we can see what the good looks like embodied in a human being, the Son of God who took on our human flesh. We see what the good looks like in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And and we hear him teach us what it looks like in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. So we confess, to sum it up, that people were created by God to know God, to love God, and to live with God in eternal blessedness as we also love one another in true harmony and love in a world that was made to be a beautiful home for people to use for the glory of God's name. It's because a child knows what her picture was supposed to look like that she can recognize that somebody ruined that picture. It's because God has revealed to us the divine creation as a standard that we can now also identify the vandalism. You see, the brokenness. The Bible is God's revelation about the truth. And as we read the Bible, it it opens our eyes up to see the problem in the world. And as a result, people who believe that the Bible is true can see more than people who remain blinded by their own sins and idolatry who are a part of the fallenness. Although many people can identify that something is wrong with the world today, only a few can answer the question, why? Why are so many families dysfunctional? Why are there fish dying in big numbers in in the rivers? Why does my nice picture have dark, uh, dark scrapings of markers all over it? Why is that statue missing its arms? Or that icon missing its head and covered in red paint? Why is there slavery and oppression and violence in the world? Why is it so hard? to have a peaceful life. Well, we thank the Lord that in the same way the Bible reveals the the real, original picture and that the world is not as it should be, it also reveals to us why so many things that were created good and useful are not functioning. The first thing we need to understand from the Word of God is that God's good creation turned against its creator to act against his divine purpose and plan. Whoever is to blame 
The Bible is clear, it is not God. The artist is not to be blamed for the vandalism. The creator of heaven and earth with its own set order is not to be considered the author or the instigator of the first bad choices made by the creatures he made with the capacity to show true love and to choose what is right. God is not the author of sin. The blame does not fall on the divine artist, but on the creatures he created who rebelled against him. And then if you look at Lord's Day 3 and dipping a little bit into Lord's Day Day 4 as well, as you see the, the line of our confession, you can see that after saying it's not God, there are three named guilty parties, Adam and Eve in paradise, who disobeyed God's commandment of love, the devil who instigated them to rob themselves and all their descendants of the gifts they had received in paradise, and then every person who ever lived on the earth because they are conceived and born in sin and totally unable to do any good and inclined to all evil. So when people ask, why is there evil in this world? They will find that the answer from scriptures is that because when they were given the opportunity to show genuineness of their love by choosing serving God in a perfect world over rebelling against God and living under his curse, Adam and Eve chose the form, the, 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 the latter, both his heaven dwelling and earthly dwelling creatures have willfully chosen to rebel against God. We read that in Genesis 3. And so you can compare the big picture to, to that, that little sibling, the younger bratty brother or sister who, who ruined your drawing rather than just enjoying what you have done. And then coming back later and, and looking at the ruined mess and asking you, why does your picture look so ugly? Well, the answer is obvious. It's ugly because you ruined it. Now, when people hear that they are to blame for the hardships they suffer as a consequence of the fall into sin, people often argue that they aren't really to blame because they are mere victims of circumstances that compelled them to vandalize the things that God had created, to do things like ruin their older brother or sister's drawing. Imagine now again, if you were a parent talking to the younger brother who ruined the drawing, and then he made that kind of argument to you. You're holding the ripped paper covered in black marker and a little child says, well, Mom, I'm a, I'm a victim of my circumstances. My sinful nature caused me to do it. I blame Eve and Adam. I blame the serpent. And I blame you for conceiving and giving birth to me this way. Well, as a parent, would you tell that child, oh, okay, you're right. So that hand holding the black marker and making those big marks over your sibling's work are not really to be blamed for the damage? I don't think any parent would go there. Of course not. Even the child 
making the argument, recognizes that it doesn't hold true. Whoever else may be blamed in addition, the child who ruined the picture shares in the guilt because he actually did the damage to the picture. And so whether it was trauma from your past or parental failures in education or ignorance about the truth or blindness from pride or suffering from manipulation as a vulnerable person or instigation from the devil or the fall of, into sin of your first parents in, in paradise, all creatures remain responsible before their creator for their actions. And without an excuse, says Paul, for the sin of vandalizing God's good creation. And Scripture's conclusion and our confession about that situation is, is very sobering. We like to point fingers, and in the end, we, we need to include ourselves. The end of the matter is, is clear, and we confess it, and we're right to confess it. We are so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good. We are inclined to all evil. Once mankind jumped from the airplane of serving God, none of the choices they make in their life could bring them closer to God because of gravity. Or to use the illustration of the, the rolling car that we used at when we looked at the cannons adored a little while ago, once the, the car with the stalled engine and the sealed doors and the broken steering wheel was set rolling away from the heights of peace with God, there was nothing that could be done to turn that car back to God in its own strength. The image of God that we were created in has been destroyed beyond recognition. Some people compare it to, to a penny or a coin on a, on, that's smashed by a, a train running over it on the, on the railway track. There's no way to bring that image back. Even if we wanted to, we would not be unable to make the right choices to become what God had made us to be in the beginning. And yet, and that's the, the glorious message of the gospel. We keep reading the word yet or, or but, but God did not leave us there. The same God who showed us the original picture and who pointed out the problem, he also came to restore what he had made. There's nothing we, the created vandals, can do to return to the original image and purpose and will of God the gospel message is that God can. God can remove the stain of sin and God is restoring what his creatures have so seriously vandalized. None of the reasons that we come up with take away from the point that we as individuals are the actual ones sinning and therefore guilty before the Lord. The important thing to notice is that the depravity and the suffering of man is something that's on the earth side of the picture. You can see that wording in a scripture in our confessions. It says we are all conceived and born in sin. It doesn't say God is sinful. And it says, yes, we are unable to do any good and inclined to all evil. We see that this suffering is, is something that's on earth side. It's not a result of a failure 
or an imperfection on the part of God. The Almighty Creator of heaven and earth is holy. He is separate from His fallen creation, and He is separate there in His, in his glory. And that's against the, the teaching of, of this idea of open theism or a suffering God. He is holy. He is in a position that He can get things back on track again. In the same way that a a child can redraw her ruined picture because she was the original artist, so God, the eternal creator, with the plans in his mind and the position and the power can restore fallen world back to where he wants it to be. The gospel message is that God's hands were not tied by the wickedness and the disobedience of his creatures. Now this has frightening consequences for those who persist in their rebellion against the holy God. Frightening consequences on Judgment Day that we'll look at when we look at Lord's Day 4. But the revelation of the sovereign, eternal God and Father who remains outside of His creation in His holiness is an amazing, rich comfort for people who are longing for peace with God Because it tells us that our sin and our fallenness cannot hinder God's amazing, gracious work. The major resounding theme of the gospel is that God did not leave us in the depravity in which we plunged ourselves. Because He is holy and separate and sovereign and eternal and almighty creator, He can and He does reach into our misery. He came down into paradise after Adam and Eve fell into sin. He promised a descendant who would crush Satan, the fallen angel. He gave his word so that we might know where the world comes from and where we are on the earth. And he taught us by giving us the law and the prophets, by dwelling among us as his son tabernacled in our midst. John 1 verse 14. God, the Holy Spirit, is poured out into our hearts on Pentecost to guide us through the Bible in the midst of His covenant community where He he leads us through the preaching and teaching of His Word from our parents and our other under-shepherds of our great shepherd, Jesus Christ. The gospel is that God became flesh to intervene in the chaos of the fall by suffering the consequences of that fall himself for us and in our place. And so we can see the glory of his Son shining forth from his body, which is the church, the body of believers who have been born again of the Spirit. We saw that in the form for baptism this morning, and again as we walked in this afternoon in the display text, John 3. The word regeneration that we, we cling to in our confession as the only way back to God and to His kingdom is a word that means being born again, being generated a second time, being made into a new creation. The work of the Holy Spirit doesn't just bring us back to our situation when we were born of our mothers, for we were all conceived and born in sin, unable and inclined to turn away from God, but the Spirit's 
regenerating work brings us back to the original desires of mankind that God worked in our hearts before the fall into sin. The, the spirit becomes willing even though the flesh is weak. By the Spirit's work in our hearts, we begin to want to do good things, even though we often do not do what we want. Romans chapter 7. The Holy Spirit works to remove the, the stains of sin from our hearts so that it can't have dominion over us, even though we must wait for Christ to return before we will see the new heavens and, and the new earth and the perfectly righteous saints with bodies and souls in all their glory. That regenerating work, that being born again is, is already something we see happening in our lives. And that life, heart, transforming work of the Holy Spirit. It's not only a wonderful promise and a wonderful comfort, but it's also a great responsibility and a calling. Romans 6 this morning, Ephesians 4. God not only turns us into lights, but then he commands us to shine into the darkness. Now we see the, the connection. God is removing the stain of sin from the world through his Son and the body of his Son, the church. The responsibility we have in this renewing work of God in the world. You know that God's good creation has been vandalized by sin so that everything nice that he made is broken. But you also know the only solution. The world needs to submit to its maker, to the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to trust in his holy and his divine revelation, both in creation, but especially through the interpretation of his word. The world in its fallen state needs to be united to Christ who has obtained for us and restored eternal life to us. The world needs to keep in step with the Spirit so that we may apply what he has said to everything that we do, that we have the desires that are according to his purpose. Well, based on the Almighty's Creator's revelation of his work and purpose, we as the body of Christ, the, the light in the world, we can say in an authoritative way what is good and what is evil. We can say what pleases God and what does not. What comes, will come to harm and what will bring peace. What is broken and what is functioning. What is beautiful and what is battered. And as we, we live in this truth, that's, that's what the, the world around us sees. They can see the beauty, the rightness of God's word. Whatever it may be. Whether political principles, whether it's our marriage relationships, the way we interact with our children, even the children who, who ruin their siblings' paintings, whether it's environmental policies, the closer our works are to the purpose of God, the more excellent those things will be. 
And you see how the Spirit is driving us to that excellence, not only in what we read and study, but also in the way we live. The Lord is restoring hope in the world through the church. Commanding us to get rid of sin and everything that ruins God's good creation. You see, every ideal picture of a Canada that exists among our leaders or the citizens, every human picture of what is ideal actually falls short of what God had originally designed. Every understanding of the purpose for planet Earth is warped by selfish pride. Every human uh, human-produced relationship and every marriage actually falls short of God's original purpose. The first step of being born again is confessing our sins and repenting. We don't look down our noses at our fellow sinners. We don't look down our noses, but we recognize how much we need God to work in our marriages and our understanding of of what is right and what is wrong. And so the Lord directs us back to the world that has His signature and His fingerprints on it. The gospel message is we are being conformed to the image of Christ. We are a new creation. We are being shaped by the Holy Spirit to spend eternity with good, in righteousness and holiness, rightly knowing God our Creator, heartily loving Him and living with Him in eternal blessedness to praise and glorify Him. Brothers and sisters, we we praise the Lord for His regenerating work. He can remove the stain of sin. He may use you in your role and your task and calling as a part of this removal. May God bless us and help each one of us to submit to His Word and His purpose and His will and find our life in Jesus Christ. Amen.